This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Uh, this morning, I want to jump right into our topic. Uh, go ahead and get started in talking about unity. Uh, I've had an interesting study on unity, and while a lot of what we'll talk about this morning is uh, fairly elementary uh, in nature, uh, I learned quite a bit about unity throughout this study. Uh, it's one of those deals, if you teach, you'll know what I mean. You, you start diving into a topic, and then you realize, oh, that don't mean what I thought it meant. And you're, so your sermon kind of changes as, as your studying changes. Uh, this morning, I want to define unity, or, or look at what unity is, maybe a better way of saying that. We'll ask and answer the question, what is unity? We'll look at what hinders and what's keep, what keeps unity from happening in the church today, uh, some things that even cause division. And then we'll look at some unity in action that we see in the scriptures in places that we need to imitate that unity in our lives. And then we'll close our sermon with talking a little bit about Christ. I saw online somebody define unity uh, specifically in the church in a pretty interesting way. And they said it's one of those, unity is one of those things that you it's kind of maybe hard to place a finger on at times, but you know it when you see it. And when there's not unity, you can feel it. And I, I think that was a pretty good way of putting that. While that might not be the best biblical definition of unity, I think that makes a lot of sense. That could be true of any group. You, you know unity when you see it, and you know division when you see it. You can almost feel it in the air, if you know what I mean. So as we look at what is unity, uh, I found two different types of unity in the scripture. Uh, and that was kind of the, the curveball that was thrown my way, so to say. Uh, the first of which, and the one that I kind of thought of before I started studying it out and putting a lesson together, was what we find in Psalms chapter 133. Uh, the first verse there says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Right, we think of unity, we think everybody getting along, everybody together. And the, the corny or the cheesy way of putting that would be one big happy family. Yeah, I think we need to strive to do that, don't you? I think that's what our elders would like, for us to all be one big happy family. And I think of unity when I think of that. I think of my mother when I think of unity. She doesn't like there to be any kind of discontent any kind of problems. If, if there was something going on between one of the siblings, mom wanted it to stop. Why? Because it's good and pleasant when there's unity. Nobody likes conflict. Nobody likes there to be problems. We want things to be good and pleasant. And the Bible says that it is a good and pleasant thing when the brethren are together in unity. When there's not division, when there's not strife, when there's not problems, when there's not fighting. And this type of, of, uh, of unity is pretty subjective, isn't it? You know, we got, was there 85 people here today? You, know, you might ask Jace if we, if we have good unity. He may say, yes, absolutely. And then you might ask Rick and he may say, ah, you know, I don't know. 
I know about this. You know, unity in this sense is fairly subjective. It's kind of uh, a little bit opinionated. From somebody's perspective, we could have great unity, and from somebody else's perspective, maybe we don't have that great of unity. Now, I think, from my perspective, I think we've got good unity here at this congregation. And you may disagree with me, and that's okay. I'm not going to be naive enough to say that we have perfect unity. I'm not going to be naive enough to say that we can't work at unity. And as is the case with a lot of things you study, you realize we need to do a better job at this. We have some work we need to do. This is one way that I I think we see unity taught in the Bible. Uh, This is going to be in most places. You don't see the word unity used a lot in the scripture, uh, specifically in the New Testament. Um, But when you see it, it could be talking about this type of unity. Getting along, being together, loving one another. And then there's another type of unity, a slightly different way that we could look at it. If we look in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And if you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 4, Paul goes on here in this letter to talk about how there is one body, there is one spirit, there is one faith, there is one baptism. And Paul is teaching here to this to the church at Ephesus, that we need to have unity in this different way. Do we need to get along? Do we all need to be one big happy family? Of course. I think we, we realize and we can see that we need to do that, that we need to strive for that. But Paul here is teaching a different kind of unity. He's talking about a unity in Christ. We're not always going to agree on everything, are we? We're not always going to have the perfect type of unity like we described before. But we can all be in great unity through Christ. And that's what Paul's teaching here. We all need to be, there is one body, there is one faith, there is one baptism. Have that kind of unity. Understand that. This type of unity is more objective. This is more fact. We either have unity in Christ or we don't. You can't have unity in Christ from your perspective and not unity in Christ from my perspective. It, it doesn't work that way. We're either unified in Christ or we're not. Let me ask you, is unity a challenge? Either one of these, either one of these types of unity. And we'll, we'll keep them both in mind throughout our study this morning. Elders, is unity a challenge? I, I, I would... Think they would say, of course, unity is a challenge. Unity's not always easy. Unity maybe doesn't even come naturally. If we look at the verse we just read, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity. Paul apparently told the church at Ephesus this was an endeavor that they were going to have to face was to keep unity. This wasn't going to be something that came naturally. This was going to be something that they had to work at. I think uh, the Greek word there, I looked at it before, uh, means with, with great speed. Something they need to take care of and take care of now. It's something they're going to have to take care of ongoing. It's something that they're going to have to work at. Unity is a challenge. It's an endeavor. And Paul would probably say the same thing to this church here today. We need to endeavor to keep unity. Unity is one of those things I don't know that I think about all that much. And if you ask me, Zane, do you have good unity? I'd say, yeah. I I don't even think about it all that often because I would have just thought the answer was yes. But it's an endeavor. We read in the the letter to the church at Corinth that there should be no schism in the body. 
Paul tells this church. A schism is a, uh, it's the same word that you might see in the New Testament that says they rent something. They tore it apart or that there may be a gap or a wedge or a hole, something missing. Paul says there, there should be no schism in the body of Christ. He says, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And he tells us what we need to do to have unity, and he tells us what happens when there's not unity. What's probably going on? Well, the members probably don't have the same care one for another. And that can cause schism or division in the church. This can cause problems. This can cause quarrels I've seen in other, uh, it mentioned in other places in the scripture. So unity is a challenge, and I don't figure any of y'all would disagree with me on that. It's something that we need to be aware of. It's something that we need to endeavor to keep. We need to watch out for. So for the remainder of our study, let's look at what hinders unity and let's look at some examples that we can imitate of unity in the scripture. So what hinders unity? I think the first thing we all need to recognize that we all do recognize is very simply put, we're all different. We all have different interests. We all have different jobs. We all do different things. We're all very different. And we got a lot of things in common too, but in reality, we're, we all live these different lives. Uh, I thought a way to maybe illustrate that was uh, earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it, it talks about the different roles that we can see in the church. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? He illustrates this point that we're all different. We all have different gifts. We all bring different things to the table. We all have a different role in the body of Christ. But that we're supposed to have unity in that. But I, I think we can all recognize that our differences, they can cause some lack of unity they can hinder and they can slow down the unity that we need to have like I said well I don't know was there 80 something people here today I didn't count and if you just look at two two people in here you can see how many differences they have if I think about myself and Kendall Murray we have a lot of things in common we're both from the panhandle of Texas we both live on the west side of Wheeler we both drive a Ford we both like sports. We both spent a fair amount of time around cattle, fixing fence, working on the ranch. We got a lot of things in common. But I guess, I didn't think this part out as much, but I guess if you wanted to name a difference for every similarity that we have, you probably could. Kendall's tall, I'm short. Kendall's got a cool mustache, I, I don't. We have a lot of differences too. And that's just two of us. That's just Kendall and I. There's 80-something people in here. We got more combinations than there are Sonic drinks. We're all different. And that can cause a hindrance on unity. The next one is the big one, I would say, though. <clears throat> Pride, competition, and comparison. And the letter to the churches of Galatia, Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. He goes and he says, look, I don't care about your differences. Now, granted, I understand Paul is teaching not specifically about unity here. He's talking about unity in Christ, but in a roundabout way. 
He's trying to get them to understand something a little bit different. We can talk about that another time. We're all, we're all got these, we all come from these different areas. And you know what? We can look and we can compare ourselves to everybody else here. And we're not going to be very happy when we start doing that. One of my favorite sayings is comparison is the thief of joy. And if we allow ourselves to compare ourselves to one another, we're going to rob ourselves of a lot of joy. We're going to cause a lot of issues that really weren't there to begin with. We can look at somebody and see, well, man, they just got a better life. They've got it. They drive a nicer car. They got a nicer house. They got a better family. They make more money than I do. They're just better looking than I am. What, whatever it is, if we start to compare ourselves to one another, we're going to rob ourselves of joy. And, and that's just going to drive a small wedge in between us and that person. If we allow ourselves to do that. And if I'm being honest, ladies probably have a little bit harder time than the men do on that. But, you know, men probably have a little bit harder time with this other one, competition. I love competitive people. I love to compete. I think competitive people are hard workers. I think they're goal-oriented. I think they get, find a way to get things done. I like it when people are competitive, but we can allow that to creep into the church as well, and that causes problems. You know, competitiveness is, is also fairly relative. It's fairly subjective as well. I, you know, I, I got to thinking about uh, the Olympics, and I can cheer for anybody wearing red, white, and blue at the Olympics. I don't care where they're from. I don't care what sport they're doing. I'll sit there and cheer for gymnastics. I, don't, I ain't never watched another day in my life, and I can cheer for them because they're from America and they're competing in something. And I remember watching the 2012 Olympics and watching all these basketball players that normally I'd watch in a different league, and here are these guys that I'm cheering for every one of them. I want them to succeed. And then you back up and you watch them play in the NBA, and they're playing against my teams, and they're my enemy. I want them to lose. I want to destroy them. Well, in the Olympics, I was just cheering for them. And we can, we can back up even further. If we watch Oklahoma play Texas, well, you, you kind of got to pick a side here. I'm from Texas, I guess. I'm for Texas. I, I don't know. And we, we were just rooting for you in the Olympics, and now we're cheering against you because you're, you go to a college in a different state. And then you watch OSU and OU play. All the Okies, they're just happy with one another. Now they hate each other's guts. And then you look, and you see Ford Elliott play Shamrock or Wheeler or Kelton or somebody. I want Ford Elliott to kick the rears. Come on. I'm from Fort Elliott. I want him to win. Well, if you back up a little, it's all relative, really. You know, we, we can do this in the church, too. We can do this, in, and those are all silly examples. But we can have this kind of competition in the church as well if we're not careful. We look at other people. We, we want to do better than them. We want to succeed more than they succeed. You know, this, y'all are my church, but we, there's a whole brotherhood of Christians out there. I want them to succeed. I want them to do well. But if they come mess with one of y'all, we got a problem. And then here, we're all here together, here in the assembly. This is my home congregation. I love this congregation. I want to see this congregation succeed. 
And then I'm going to say the quiet part out loud here, so buckle in. We're going to go back there and eat lunch here in a little while. I'm going to sit with my family. <laughs> I don't know why we do it. That's just what we do. It just, it just happens. Let me tell you, y'all mess with one of somebody in my family, we're going to have a problem. And then we go to my parents' house and we, we spend a day with them and my sisters are there, my folks are there, my family's there. I tell you, if one of them, my sister, my folks, they mess with Hallie or Zealand, we're going to have a problem. Well, we were, you know, you see what I'm trying to illustrate here. We can see other people's success and we can envy that. That's a bad problem and we're, we're humans and we do that. We got to work at that. It's very easy to see other people's success and just envy that, be jealous of that just a little bit. Kind of wish it was you being more successful than them. When in reality, we're all, we're all here together. We're not competing against one another. But our competitive minds do that from time to time. And the next one is, is pride. Uh, that one really is what encompasses all the others, I suppose. Anytime there's a hindrance to unity, I'd say 99 times out of 100, pride's at the root of it. We want what we want more than what you want. We want to get our way more than we want the other person to get their way. A, a selfish pride. And we can allow that to creep into the body of Christ. We can allow that to creep into the church as well if we're not careful. Some of these examples of what unity is, they, they take care of these problems. Uh, but these problems are real. 1 Corinthians 3 and 3 says, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? He tells us what's the problem here. He tells us where these divisions come from. They come from a worldly mindset. There's envying, there's strife and divisions because people are carnal. We struggle with that. That's one of the biggest things in the church. We, we fight against carnality, against being worldly. Our pride will creep into the church if we're not careful. Our will will creep into the church if we're not careful. We'll allow that in the competition, the comparison, in whatever way that might be. We can allow these small divisions in the form of that first definition of unity we talked about to just wedge a little hole in between us. We can look at ourselves and we can see these differences or we can look at ourselves as all united in Christ. And finally, what hinders unity? Anything that causes division. I, I suppose that's self-explanatory. Jesus says here, uh, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. A house divided against a house falleth. Jesus teaches a very easy to understand teaching here. A house divided against a house falleth. In other words, we can look at each other and we can look at our differences and we can look at even a person like Kendall and I. We got a lot in common but we got some differences too. We can look at those differences and we can allow that to be this invisible line between us. And that causes problems in the church whether we see it or not. Or we can decide to put those differences aside and realize and understand what unity is all about. 
We need to be careful about division. It's easy. I think it's easier than we understand. I think it happens in smaller ways than we even really normally would think about and recognize. So lastly, let's look at unity in action. We'll look at just, a, I think, three different ways in which we see unity in action in the Scriptures, ways that we need to imitate uh, this unity in our own lives. A thing that got me started thinking about unity was a study that I had probably six or nine months ago, I, I don't remember now, when we talked about the fellowship of the believers. And we looked at the last five or six verses in Acts chapter 2, and we saw what great fellowship those Christians had uh, there in the beginning. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. Uh, a couple verses later, And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And we see this uh, unity that the early church had. We saw how together they were. They not only had the unity in Christ that is the ultimate unity, the unity we're supposed to endeavor to keep, but they also had this other type of unity like we saw in Psalms 133. They were together. They were unified in the fact that they were a unit. They were a team. They were together. They daily were in fellowship Eating meals with one another. Spending time with one another. The Bible says uh, all that believed were together and had all things common. If they saw a need that the church had, they went and sold possessions and goods and they made sure that those needs were met. If you remember that study from earlier this year or late last year maybe. And they continued daily together as a unit. Now, that fellowship was important for them. And I think that led them to having unity and, and seeing this next type of unity in action, which of course is love. Another sermon I had, this has probably been a year, a half, a year and a half or two ago, and this really stuck out to me, uh, was in my study on Galatians. In chapter 4, Paul says here to that church, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. And we saw this amazing type of love between Paul and the churches of Galatia. And there was another verse I didn't, uh, I, I didn't include here, but Paul had just been beaten up really badly and they took care of his wounds. They took care of him for a while. And they fed him and they, they healed his wounds and they, they took care of him. And then Paul here, obviously writing from afar, uh, this letter to, the, to these churches, he says, of whom I travail in birth. You know what Paul was saying here? He, he's seeing that Christ, that they once had Christ, that they once had, had known Christ and been baptized into Christ, and then they were having trouble by being pulled back into the old law, into Moses' law, into trying to uh, get their salvation through their ability to perform the law and Paul spends all of Galatians trying to teach to him that you get salvation through Christ now not through your ability to complete the old law to perform the old law and he knows that they're not in a great standing with God because they've kind of they're kind of missing the point 
And he sees their spiritual troubles. And he says, I travail in birth. I'm going through pain like a woman experiences in childbirth, knowing that y'all aren't right with God. That's love right there. That's pretty incredible. We, we all know somebody who we know may be struggling with something from time to time, and that may weigh on us. That may, we may feel for that person, but I've never, ever been able to tell anybody I am experiencing pain, pain like childbirth because of your spiritual problems, and I want you to do better. That's pretty amazing. Paul loved those people, and they loved Paul. He said, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice. What that means, change my voice, he means, to, well, I wish I could have a different opinion. I wish I could say differently. I wish I could say you were in perfect standing. I wish I could say y'all had everything going just the way you need to have it going. He sees their problems, he sees their struggles, and he just wants to be there with them to help them. I tell you, that's love. That's love, and that's an area in which I think we can do better. Back to 1 Corinthians 12, says, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Do we do this? This kind of takes that competition out of things a little bit. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we all rejoice with it. Sometimes that's a hard thing to do. Number one, we don't want to suffer. And number two, we're competitive sometimes and we would rather see us succeed than the person next to us succeed. How do we get to this point? How can we just love somebody like that? I tell you, I think it takes time and effort. It's an endeavor to keep the unity. This may take something, this may be something that takes a little bit of work. And you know, if I want to get closer with Kendall and put our differences aside, you know what? I'm probably going to have to talk to him. Probably going to have to speak to him and get to know him a little bit better. I'm probably going to have to ask him about what's going on in his life and listen to his problems, listen to what's going on that's good in his life and converse about that. When we see unity in action, we see love. Unity is love, and and that may take a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. And then finally there, unity in action, we see a forbearance. In Colossians 3 verse 13, uh, here it says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know what unity is? We're all different. We recognize we all have these differences. We all want these different things. We all live these different lives. And so with that, we're going to have to forbear one another a little bit. Maybe a lot of bit. And we're going to have to do that. You know what it is to forbear one another? Uh, to put their needs above our needs. To, to put aside that pride, that competition, that comparison. It may mean having to do some things you don't want to do. Having to show up to some events you don't necessarily want to show up to. Having to be wrong when maybe you're not wrong. I don't know. We're going to have to forbear one another and forgive one another. 
I think it's important that the word forgive one another is in there and, and that this verse spends a little time talking about forgiveness. When you have this many people together, we're, we're going to make somebody angry every now and then. We're going to do something to somebody we shouldn't do or say something. And you know what? The person on the other end of that, they're going to have to be forbearing with us and forgiving. And that's a two-way street. So finally, in closing this morning, as we've seen unity in action, as we've seen what hinders unity, I think we need to spend the, the last few slides focusing on that second type of objective unity, that our unity must be in Christ. We can worry about that first definition of unity. We can worry about getting along and, and being one big happy family. That's very important. I understand it. I think these kinds of unity goes hand in hand, but we really must focus on our unity in Christ. If we back up a verse from what we just read there, it says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. If we're going to be able to forbear one another, if we're going to be able to forgive one another, then we're going to have to go back to the beginning of verse number 12 and remember that. As the elect of God, as those saved by God through Christ, we have to remember that. It's not easy to forgive somebody when you look at your differences. It's going to be easier to forgive one another and forbear one another if we look at our unity in Christ before everything else. If we're aware of that before everything else. This is told there in this letter to Colossians and the letter of Galatians to those churches there. A very similar verse. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ and the next verse there says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. Focus on your unity in Christ. It's all about our unity in Christ and how Christ is what keeps us all together now. I don't care if you're a Jew or, a, or Greek. I don't care. I don't care if you're bond or free. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Forget about it for a minute and realize that we're all united in Christ. And that's where we get the greatest commonality we could possibly have. It's through Christ. And for all the differences that we have, do any of them match up to the commonality we have in Christ? Uh, let's read Corinthians. Uh, let's go back and read. We've kind of been dancing all around it this morning. Let's read uh, chapter 12. Uh, there are 10 or 15 verses or so. Starting in verse number Verse number 12 there, we see this talking about the body of Christ. And while the word unity may not be used in here, it, we're, we're teaching, we're being taught about unity uh, through this scripture. Uh, there's other teachings as well, but in our context today, verse 12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body? We are all baptized into one body. Not a question, sorry. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not the body, is it therefore not of the body? 
And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. One of the things we can take from this passage here is we see the differences. We get it. We all have different things. We all have different abilities. We're all different But look at our commonality. We've all been tempered together just like Christ wanted us to. Just as God wants the body of Christ to be, we all need to be unified in that. And we can see all these differences and the the temptation is pride that we look at one another and say, well, they, they can't do what I can do. They don't have the same gifts I do. They don't have the same abilities I do. They don't do this, they don't do that. He says, these members which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And to those are bestowed more abundant honor. For all the differences we can see here, that's kind of the point. That's kind of the purpose. We're all different. We can all do different things. But we need to find our unity in Christ. Finally, in John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that also ye love one another. By this, Jesus says, shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. By this, all men shall know that ye are my disciples. You know what that means? In a way, people are going to see unity when they see us loving one another. Why? Because that's bizarre to love one another. It's not normal for people to forbear and to forgive one another in the way that we've been taught. That's not normal. People are going to see that and they're going to see our unity. They're going to see that, you know what? Those folks, they love one another. They are truly disciples of Christ. And that's going to help us in evangelizing. That's kind of the whole point of all this. We, uh, we see teachers teach about love from time to time, and they read this verse. You probably know what the uh, Greek word for love is here. It's agape love. That we love one another as I have loved you. Love is unity. Unity is love. If we want to have unity, we must be unified in Christ, and we must love one another as Christ loved us. The point of agape love is we we see that it's 
may be a challenge, but agape love, as we see there in John, it's a choice. Folks, unity may be a challenge. It may be something that's difficult. It may be something that's an endeavor, but it's a choice. Because love's a choice. Forbearance is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. They're not emotions. They're a choice. And while we may have these challenges of unity within our congregation today, within the body of Christ as a whole today, love is a choice and therefore unity is a choice. We can choose to be unified together. If the church can help you with with anything this morning, be that a problem with unity, be that a quarrel as we read there in, in one of our verses already, if it's a problem, if it's a struggle that you have with somebody else here, like I said, that, that kind of unity is fairly perspective. It's fairly uh, subjective. It may be up to your opinion. That's something that needs worked on. We see through that uh, reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the body of Christ does not function properly unless we're all unified, unless we're all together. If you've got a problem with somebody here, I, I don't know about it, but you do, and you can probably feel that. I don't suppose that's probably very fun. Or if you have another issue that is completely unrelated to our topic at hand today, come and Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.